first class, getting arranged on the podium here. I'll get used to this. Um, glad everybody have to, everybody here this morning. I know we've got two classes going on again, so that's why there's uh, fewer people in the auditorium than there might normally be. Um, glad to have you here. If you didn't get um, an, a set of questions, they were on the back chair. Uh, raise your hand, we'll get those to you. Let me grab those. Um, Clyde will get them to you. Up here, over there. We won't get to these for a bit, but frankly, I was putting my outline together to discuss um, an introduction to Thessalonians, and these were questions I was asking myself. And uh, so I just started typing them up, and I thought, you know, I, I could just, I was literally going to use these to just conduct the conversation this morning about what we, what, what the context of the book of, of the first letter to the Thessalonians is about and where it came from. And I thought, well, if it's going to be my outline, maybe you'd just appreciate having a copy of it and you can make your own notes, keep it or not. Um, but there you go. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. If you would bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to be together to worship you with other Christians. Um, we thank you so much for the gift of your church um, that allows us to be encouraged and built up by other people that are like-minded, um, that want to spend forever with you. Um, and we know that if we are going to spend forever with you, um, we need to help each other live for you in this life. We ask that you would be with us as we dive into your word um, that uh, we also are so grateful for. Uh, without it, we would not understand your character. We would certainly not understand your plan for our redemption. And so we thank you for making it available to all mankind um, and help us to understand it and apply it in the way that we walk uh, in this life as well as in the way that we influence others. Um, forgive us of our sins this very hour so that we might stand right, right, righteous in your sight um, and help us to be that all we can be to have the courage and the integrity to stand up for what we know to be true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is the first morning or the first session in a study of the book of both of the Thessalonian letters. So I want to start out by just giving some context on um, these two letters that were written to this church in Thessalonica. And if you've got a copy of those questions um, that I told you that I was using as my own outline, um, I guess I would ask you right off of the bat, uh, what uh, journey was it that um, Paul found himself in Thessalonica? Now, I will tell you, I have, I have really this week intentionally, I for a long time, uh, I know we call them missionary journeys, Paul's missionary journeys, his first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey, which is fine. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but if it were today and someone were going somewhere, would we call him, would we say that Chad, when he went to Poland, was on a missionary trip? We might not, we not, might not use that vernacular. It's true. It's accurate. Um... <laughs> We'd say he went on a trip to Poland. He evangelized while he was there. He taught. Um, so anyway, I, I did put that wording in, the, in these questions. Which evangelistic trip did Paul go on when he came into Thessalonica? I know this is going to be, some of this is from memory. We had no chance to study this ahead of time. Second, his second journey, his second trip. 
So when we look at what time of that might have taken place, again, testing some memory here, thinking about the context of when Paul became a Christian, um, about when that was in the, in the time after Jesus' resurrection, um, uh, about what time might that trip have occurred? If Jesus was buried and raised from the dead sometime in the early 30s, 30 to 33 AD, we read in the book of Acts um, the establishment of the church and how it spread. That didn't happen overnight. That took years. The first journey would have been in the uh, mid-40s. And I say mid to high 40s. So 45 to 47 or 8 max. It can't be much later than that. So the second journey started shortly after that. But there was a brief period of time between that. At least a year. Um, so it probably started in 49. Might have started late 48. But 49 went through probably, I, there's some people that date it starting in 50-ish, but um, I think that's a little too late for me. Um, it's probably 48, 49 and goes through 51 or 2. Anybody, Barry, as you, as you think about your context, do you disagree with that? Anybody have a different dating? I think it's important to put that in mind. Um, then after that, of course, he has another trip, another journey that he takes. Um, before uh, his imprisonment in Rome. He's imprisoned in, in Jerusalem. So there's, there's some other things that happen after those dates that are important just to remember. But this one falls right there around, if you just think of 50, it, it's close enough. It's 49 to 51, 48 to 51 uh, or 2. Uh, so right around there in 80, 50. So about 20 years or less since Jesus raised from the dead, was on the earth. Um, before Paul went on this particular journey, on this trip, what happened in Acts 15? The Jerusalem Council. Yeah. Make decisions or determinations about the, um, the ability for Gentiles to be and what was the outcome of that? That's important. Um, what was the outcome of that council? If you want to turn to Acts chapter 15, it'd be a good place to go. Um, we're going to spend some time in Acts right in this chapter and, and beyond. So if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, we are going to spend some time reading a little bit of, of what leads up to this. We won't read much in chapter 15 here, but in chapter 15, as Adam said, there was a council. What was the issue with the council? What prompted the council in the first place? What, who had come back from their first trip? Right? Paul? So on his first trip, what happened out there while he's out there? Who got converted? Gentiles. So they go to Jerusalem after the end of the trip, and they start to share that good news with the people. Guess what? Gentiles are becoming Christians. Oh, for some, that was not such great news. In fact, they had to have a meeting about it, have a conversation about, ooh, 
Ooh, is that allowed? Well, okay, if it's allowed, what else do they need to do? They need to be circumcised? What else? So this council meet, yeah, do they need to keep the old law? And the output of this council was that they did what? What did the council produce? Was it a blog? They essentially had a finding, <laughs> and then they sent, they sent men out to yeah. various parts to make sure that people understood. Really, they had a few things um, that they wanted to make sure people knew um, as, they, as Gentiles came into the fold. Perfect. So they wrote it down. And I do want to read that. Um, he says, James's judgment, it says, in my heading in my Bible, in, in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 13, I think it was the, I will say that yes, it was James was speaking, kind of like when Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost. He wasn't the only one speaking. This wasn't just a judgment that James probably reached on his own merit. Um, although, um, he was certainly a leader at that time in the church there in Jerusalem. Uh, it says, after they stopped speaking in verse 13, James responded, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon has described how God first concerned himself about talk, taking a people for his name among the Gentiles. So, we've heard now that people are starting to call themselves Christians that are Gentiles. The words of the prophets agree with this. Just as it is written, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So he's putting this consistent with prophecy. He says, therefore it's my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. Uh, for from ancient generations Moses has those who preach him in every city since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas who was called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers and they sent this letter with them. The apostles and the brothers who are elders to the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, Greetings. Since we've heard that some of our number of to whom we gave no instruction have confused you by their teaching, upsetting your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from acts of sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So this happens at the conclusion of Paul's first trip. And now... Others are being sent out to say, spread this word. 
And that happens. Some time passes. And we get to verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers and sisters in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord. And so here's the prompting of his second trip. Paul wants to go out again. He wants to visit the people that he's already seen, churches that have already begun on the first trip. So who goes with Paul on this trip? <laughs> who? Hmm. Who goes with Paul initially on this trip? Is it Barnabas? No, it's who? Silas. This same Silas that was probably the same guy that got sent out by the council to go spread the word about to the Gentiles. How come? Why didn't Paul and Barnabas go together? It's pretty common knowledge. Oh, John Mark. What did John Mark do? <laughs> what did Paul say, actually? What's Luke write? What's the word that Luke uses when he writes the book of Acts about what Paul, John Mark He abandoned him. Yeah. And it was such a, they had such a disagreement, Paul and Barnabas did, that Barnabas said, fine, I'll take John Mark and I'll go one way. And you pick somebody else and go your way. So where did Barnabas and John Mark go, by the way? Where? Cyprus. An island. And Paul grabbed Silas and said, let's go. Let's start this journey. So I'm going to read some of the rest of this trip because I think it helps us put some things in context. It's also very interesting that we, what book did we just finish studying with Adam leading the class? Philippians. I hope you remembered that. If you didn't remember that we just studied Philippians, Adam really failed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> so, it's just interesting that we are going to study Thessalonians on the heels of having just studied Philippians. But let's read. So, I'll pick up again in verse 36. Some later, and I'm going to switch to the NIV. It's an easier read um, than, I love to study out of the New American Standard, but I'm going to read this out of the NIV. So if it doesn't coincide with whatever version you have, I'll just let you know that's what I'm reading. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to make, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a dis sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So I'm going to put a map up here of Paul's second journey. Um, we're going to follow this arrow. It does start, let's see if this has a... It does. That's the top is it this, this one over here? Uh -huh. No, no, the top. Oh, well, here it is. I got it. It starts over here in Antioch. So here's where we're starting. Just to get your bearings on this map, Jerusalem's down here. They had, the, they had the council in Jerusalem. Everything's gone on. They go up here to Antioch. Now, 
Barnabas and um, John Mark have gone over to Cyprus. So Paul and Silas are going to take off. Okay, so that's what we're going to start to hear. You're going to just see them start to follow this course. So um, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. So we come to this point in the in, the, in this journey that Belinda brought up that Timothy gets involved. So this is where Paul picks up Timothy. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So they're presenting this same message as they go along from Tarsus to Derby to Lystra. Here's where they pick up Timothy. They go to Iconium. And they're telling all the people there in those churches that they've met in the past um, the outcome of the council and using it to encourage the Gentile Christians and hopefully to instruct the Jewish Christians uh, that they needed to cease and desist demanding that Gentiles follow the old law. So where did they want to go after that? Where did Paul, when you look at this map, where did he want to go from Iconium? North or south, west? Go ahead. North. Yeah, he wanted to go first over here to Asia, which is where you see these churches that we're going to be hitting when we get to the studies of the book of Revelation that Barry will be going through on Sunday nights. We're going to hit these pretty early in the study of the, of, the, of the book of Revelation. So here's all these churches that you're pretty familiar with out of the book of Revelation. Paul's not been there yet. Nobody's really been there yet that we have recorded. That's kind of where Paul wanted to go. So what happens when Paul wants to go there? Let's read on. So verse 6 of chapter 16, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Who prevented them? The Holy Spirit. Hmm. Read on. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, up here to the north. So look, look what's happening to, with what Paul wants to do. I want you to notice that he's down here in Iconium, maybe gets as far as Antioch and Pisidia. He wants to go this way. Spirit says, nope. So he goes, okay, I'll start going this way. I'll, we'll go into Bithynia. That makes sense. And what happens to that? Holy Spirit says, no. So it's, he's got two more choices left, so to speak. You know, he can kind of go this way or this way. So what does the Bible says? Here's, here's what you're going to read next. This little region right here. Mysia. Paul's companions traveled through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So now they're down on the coast. 
the coast of the Aegean Sea. By the way, you need to know that over here to the left of the, of the screen is the Adriatic Sea. This is going to be important. I'll show it on a different map, but anyway. Um, so you've got the Aegean Sea and over here off the wall, the Adriatic Sea. They get to Troas, probably thinking, so what now? What happens in Troas? This is pretty common or a familiar story, I would hope. Are you raising your hand? Go ahead. Do you look like you're raising your hand? Yeah. Oh, you're just waving your hand? <laughs> Who? In Troas? Not yet. What happens in Troas? What happens to Paul in Troas? There we go. So a man, he has a dream, a vision, a man over here in Macedonia says, what? Come over here. Help us. So, the Spirit, having forbidden Paul to go this direction or this direction, he comes over here and the Spirit says, through a vision, this is where... I want you to go. So, we'll read in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. We got ready. Who seems to be with them now? Who's writing the book of Acts? Luke. Luke. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So from Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went on to Neapolis. So it's really interesting to me how long it takes to get places. Now they're going to go by sea. Whoops, from here, they pass by and they stop in Samothrace. I don't know if they had, they were on a cargo ship that needed to drop some stuff off, or a cargo boat, shouldn't call it a ship, um, that needed to drop some stuff off, or it just was a day's journey. They didn't want to go through this straight in the night. I don't know. But they stop in Samothrace and they make their way over to the coastal city of Neapolis. So just keeping up with the map. Um, from there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And we come to the people that received the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians that we just studied. And now we're catching up with you. What happens in Philippi? Who's converted? Lydia. Lydia and her household. On the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home saying, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she's persuaded us. I, what do we know about Philippi? I don't want to spend too much time here, but what was, what was the city of Philippi? What's the significance of the city of Philippi? Maybe I'll say it that way. It says it writes part of it right there in the text. 
It was what? A, a Roman colony? What does that mean? Rome ruled the world at this time. It was the Roman Empire. They're all under the Roman Empire, authority of the Roman Empire. So weren't all? Wasn't all the property or all the land that was part of the Roman Empire? Wasn't it all a Roman colony? Or was that something simple? Or was that something different, significant? It is significant. No, the answer to that first question is not all of the land that was ruled by the Roman Empire was designated a Roman colony. It's really important in a minute to, because we're going to need to point out the difference of what happens in Philippi and what happens in Thessalonica um, is because one is a Roman colony and one is not. Philippi is a Roman colony, Thessalonica is not. There's a little bit of a difference in the way that some things get handled in these cities. But what happens in Philippi? Three significant events in history, spiritual history, happen in Philippi. What are they? This is the first one. I'll just give you that. Lydia is converted. As far as we know, they are the first converts. By the way, once you cross the Aegean Sea and you hit Macedonia, you're in Europe. These are possibly the very first people converted to Christianity in Europe. So these are the first converts on this continent. So that's first. That's a big, significant event. What happened next? Who shall we read? Let's read. So once we were going to the place of prayer, we met a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him to the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these, are, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. There's significant event number two. Paul heals this demonized woman. And what becomes of that that we read in the story? What would you consider significant about this story? I mean, it leads to the next thing, so. They're put in prison. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're taken before the marketplace and before the magistrates. Really important that we understand who these magistrates are. The Greek, underlying Greek um, meaning of the use magistrates is going to be different than who we deal with in Thessalonica. Because, it's a, because it is a Roman colony, it means it's ruled by the army, the military. Pilate, again, you think of these people. Who did he have scourge Jesus? They were a Roman cohort. They were soldiers. They were a Roman guard. 
So when Paul and Silas are arrested here in Philippi, they're taken in by the military. When they're eventually beaten, they're beaten by soldiers. That's just important to know. They're in, a, they're in a Roman colony. That's who these magistrates are. And although some of your versions might say city officials, then look up the word officials in the Greek. It's different than what you're going to read in Thessalonica. It, and so here we go. When they're ordered, so the crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Who were the magistrates? Well, they would have been military leaders. Would have been a colonel or somebody like that. Um, guard uh, commanded them they, and so they beaten with rods after they'd been severely flogged they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded uh, to guard them carefully and when he received these orders he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, he rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas and he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Immediately, he and his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and was filled with joy because he had, be had, come, because he be had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. There's event number three. Three big things in Philippi. Lydia is converted. Paul heals a, de a, a demonized woman and is arrested and put in jail. Flogged. And number three, the jailer is converted. And his whole household. Going on. When it was daylight, the magistrates the, sent their officers... Again, think of military. To the jailer who, with the order, released those men. The jailer told Paul, the, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. Ooh, that was a big, big no-no. Uh, they, they could not do that to a Roman citizen without due process. You had to go to trial to do something like that. You just couldn't unilaterally decide to do that, as a, even as a Roman colonel. <coughs> so this could be big, big trouble for the colonel, for some of the, for whoever followed him. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. They threw us into prison, and now they want us to get, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come down here and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, so they do come, and they escorted them from the prison requesting them to leave the city. Please still leave, basically. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. I don't get the impression, frankly, I don't know if any of you do, that this all happened in one day this part that morning 
I'm not reading here that by the end of the day they left town. We want you out of town by sundown tonight. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have any fact to believe that. But, but, but what that word says, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and they encouraged them. I don't think they actually rushed through that. I think they took their time. It could have happened in a day. I'm not saying it didn't. But in my own mind's eye, I sort of picture that maybe they spent the night. Maybe spent some time with some Christians the next day. Maybe longer than that. But eventually they leave. So where do they go next? They leave Philippi. They've been arrested. If you follow the map here, they're in Philippi up here. They went into Neapolis. They're in Philippi. All that happened that we just studied. They come down here. The next city we're going to read about where they stopped is Thessalonica. Now the thing you need to know about this, where they've hit, this is, I want to show you this map. When they get to Philippi, they're on a very famous highway. Anybody know the name of that highway? In Italian, it's Via Ignatia. It's the Ignatian Way. This was a paved road that ran all the way from this little divide here all the way through Philippi, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica and it cuts right at Thessalonica, it cuts due west. So next map, this one's a little bit harder to see. This is the Ignatian Way. Starts clear over here in Byzantium goes through all these cities. Here we have Thessalonica on the coast and goes to Pella, Edessa, and goes all the way over here to Dyrrachium and across over to Brundisium by boat. Is sort of what's considered the end of the way because what famous road picks up there and goes to Rome? Even more famous, the Appian Way. It's paved. You know the saying that says all roads lead to Rome? This comes at this time of, the, uh, of an empire. All the empires were known for certain things. The Babylonians were known for what they could do with water. Um, Rome had built roads everywhere in their empire so they could send military out and they could ship goods back on these roads. And so now Paul's on this Ignatian way from Philippi and look at look at these cities that are in between they don't have it on this map so I have to go back a map to show you that what's mentioned in the scriptures he goes from Philippi to Amphipolis from Amphipolis to Apollonia from Apollonia to Thessalonica and it says so that when Paul and his companions verse 17 had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica why do you think those cities are spaced out like that? And they're even mentioned in the scriptures. How far could somebody travel if they're walking in a day? About 20 miles is the least. Most 30. So when you talk about being a day's journey in the Bible, you're talking between 20 and 30 miles. And it really depends on the terrain. It's nice and flat. Pretty smooth road. Probably can get a lot further. If it's hilly, not well traveled, 
probably a lot harder to travel that kind of terrain, so you probably don't get as far, right? Makes logical sense. These cities are a day's journey apart from Philippi to Amphipolis, from Amphipolis to Apollonia, and from Apollonia to Thessalonica are each a day, an average day. Now, if you look them up, you'll find different distances. Some of them are around 30 miles, some of them are around 27 miles. I would say that's probably because of the terrain. Probably got some hills in there. And so, and so when you look at this map, think about that as you see these cities. They're probably, each one of them, a day apart as you're traveling through mountains and flats and things like that. All paved. I put some pictures in here. When you, when you say paved, <laughs> this is Roman Empire days. This is first century stuff. They didn't have asphalt, concrete, nothing like that. But they were cleared. And at one time, I imagine these were probably pretty smooth. This is, you know, fairly, this is this century, so it's gotten chewed up. Here's another picture of another part of the Ignatian Way. Here's a part of it that goes right through. This is in Thessalonica. There's the way that goes right in front of an old marketplace. It's still here today. I mean, see the cars in the background? This is an old Thess marketplace in Thessalonica. I can just picture vendors along the way selling their stuff as you're, as you're, whoops, I hit the wrong button. As you're walking by, on the road. You're walking by, you're thirsty, what are they probably selling? You're hungry, you're about to go on further on the trip, they're probably selling you things to drink, things to eat, and things you can pack for the road all along the way. And it's all along this way. And they come to Thessalonica. So I just wanted you to see that. And here's the Aegean Sea, and here's the Adriatic Sea. What's important also that you ought to know here is where he's going to go next. Since we're a little bit familiar with what happens in Thessalonica, we're going to read it. But what happens in Thessalonica, he has to leave. Does he stay on the main road and go to Pella? No. Where does he go after Thessalonica? Berea. Why? Why does he go to Berea? Well, it's off the main road. It goes south here around the coast. He gets off the main road. And then from Berea, he goes all the way down here and he'll hit Athens and Corinth. Corinth is right here. Athens is right here. And in Corinth, he's going to land and spend about 18 months. So let's finish this story because that's as far as I want to go on the second journey. But it's, I just wanted to lead up to this. So what happens in Thessalonica? When Paul and his companions had passed around Amphipolis and Apollonia, they come to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Was there a Jewish synagogue in Philippi? No. That's why they went and met at the river, hoping to meet some people that, would, that were in prayer. Where there was a Jewish synagogue, as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, so over a three-week period, he reasons with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah, what that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And Jesus, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were 
persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas and ordered them to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who've caused trouble all over the world are, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they, they made Jason and the others post bond before they let him go. So, couple of differences here, like I pointed out. Philippi, they were taken to the city magistrates, which were military. Who are they taken to here? It says city officials, but if you look it up, it's a totally different Greek word. These are appointed governmental politicians. What was the accusation that they had in Philippi? These men are here causing people to embrace customs that Romans are not supposed to embrace. What's the accusation here? There's another king. I didn't say that in Philippi. Because they could get him on other things in Philippi. Here, this isn't a Roman colony. So what do they accuse him of? Preaching that there's a king other than Caesar. So what happens to them? Um, uh, so they ran out of some bad characters that they were calling. Thrown. Then they made Jason and the others post bond. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. In the night, they helped Paul and Silas escape. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue in Berea. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a prominent number of Greek women and Greek men. Interesting that in Thessalonica and in Berea, who were the ones who believed? Some prominent Jews, but all the Greek men and, and women. And they're pointed out in both cases. But when the Jews in Thessalonica heard that the Jews in Thessalonica, where had they just come from? Thessalonica. These Jews in Thessalonica were aggressive. When the Jews in Thessalonica, who had already taken it out on Jason and his household, when they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him all the way to Athens. They escorted him clear to Athens from Berea. This is clear down from clear up here. Berea is right around the corner. Another day's journey, by the way. These Thessalonians, Jews, went a full day's journey to catch up with Paul and Silas and cause trouble in Berea. They go clear from Berea all the way down to Athens, which is clear down here on this little isthmus in that little, that little bay. Several days journey. They escort him all the way. The Bereans did. Went with him the whole way. Those who escorted Paul and brought him to Athens and they left and then they, they took him all the way to Athens. They left him with and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Silas and Timothy are clear back here in Berea. Paul, when he gets finally down here to Athens, says to his escorts, when you get back, tell Silas and Timothy to come and join me. 
And I just want to read the very beginning of verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, what happens in Athens? He preaches that famous sermon about an unknown God while he's waiting. So here are the couple of things I want you to take away from today. Do you think it was any easier for him to preach the gospel in Berea because they were more noble than the Thessalonians? No, because the Thessalonians chased him down. It made it just as difficult in Berea. Do you think, when you think about it, by the way, I do have to end with this. Paul goes from Athens, after he preaches this lesson, he goes from Athens over to Corinth. And he stays in Corinth for 18 months. He's a long time, considering he's never done that on either of these first two journeys. And from Corinth, he writes these letters. These are the earliest writings in the New Testament that we have when you discount Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Take those out of the picture, although this would have been way before Acts was written. So it's way before Luke was written. There's only one other book in the whole New Testament besides Matthew, Mark. I'll just say Matthew and Mark because John we know was written, written way later. Besides Matthew and Mark, potentially, I'll even say that because there's, I'm not sure we're sure about that. There's only one possible book that's written earlier than 1 Thessalonians. And that's the book of James and there's, that's not solid either. This we know for sure when it was written. It's highly likely one of the very first things written that was ever available that we have in our New Testament. It's certainly Paul's first letter ever. And he writes it while he's on this journey. He doesn't wait till he gets back to Antioch and write it. He writes it while he's in Corinth, possibly when Timothy and, si and Silas catch up with him. And I think that weighs into what does the importance of this letter, why was Paul so compelled to write this letter then, as opposed to waiting? We'll pick up there next week. Thank you.